Welcome back to another episode of the Underrepresented Perspective. This is Annie, as always, and I'm joined by Jason, JC of the DC Campbell. What up, baby? Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure always. And our favorite Coin6 sports analyst, Mr. Marcus Greaves. <laughs> favorite one, huh? That's what I'm talking about. I like that. The favorite one, I'll take that because you know what? I didn't get no cool JC from the DC. I didn't get all that. So I'll tell you, you know, I'll just take my title with some pride. What's up, y'all? I'm excited for this episode. Hey, I'm super excited. I got to say, there have been a few people that have seen me driving around town. The JC of DC license plate. It is me. I appreciate it. Please don't throw tomatoes at my car like Rudy Giuliani. Uh, but like I said, those that have shouted me out uh, and reached out, I really appreciate your kind words. So we back. Episode six. Let's go. No, episode seven or six. This is episode seven. Episode seven. seven. Guys, if you've been following with us the whole time, we appreciate you. We're going to just be as authentic, as transparent, and as filled with uh, stories and kindness as we can for you. All right. As the days narrow down to the 2020 election, um, I thought maybe we could all reflect on our first time voting and um, maybe talk about like what that experience was like, how it might be different this time around, and just kind of where we were at that point in our lives. Jason, you want to go ahead and start us off? Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I am in a process of writing about this, so let's pray that it gets published. But even if it doesn't, uh, I think that writing is such an important part of our reflection. And so for me, it was 2008. I was 19 years old. I was a young black man in college at Emory University in Atlanta. And I was uh, voting with the potential to elect a young junior senator who looked like me to be the first black president of the United States. And so it was incredibly special. Um, I can't remember where the poll station was, but unlike a, a Oregon, I had to go there. I think I went with one of my classmates and, um, and I just remember the power of the vote, getting that sticker that said, I voted with the Georgia peach on it, all my Georgians, you know what I'm talking about. And, um, you know, the rest is history. And just, um, I think that I, what I most remember when I think about are two things. One, I remember the night that Barack Obama got elected, I was at a party and this young black woman, uh, Teshima, one of my uh, colleagues just crying on the banister as she watched him and just thinking about what this moment meant for all of us. Secondly, I just want to remember that when I was voting then, I was voting for my present self and my future self. I was a young black boy in a hoodie voting to be a young black man in a white coat. That's my two cents. Hey, I like that story, man. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, come on. I told you I was going to breathe a fire. We were playing around episode one through five. It, it's serious now. Jason, mm-hmm. I have a question for you. I have a question for you before we let Marcus go on tell us about his experience. Yeah. Since it was your first time voting, like, were you, when you were younger and you weren't able to vote in the elections, and then, you know, then being of eligible age to vote, like, were you juiced to vote or was it just another thing? No, it definitely was not another thing. You know, I've, I've mentioned my grandmother, 97 years old, still getting her hair did. I think she got it did yesterday, uh, still very active and thriving. And she reminds me, like, you can never be too tired to vote. They used to go stand in lines all the time. You know, we're experiencing that now and talking about it now. She's like, that was 
commonplace two polling stations in the whole city or what you know for her time growing up and you know remember my grandmother spent most of her adult life not being allowed to vote i'm not talking about choosing not to i'm talking about disallowance not being allowed just because of her gender and the color of her skin so um voting for me is always something that i take a lot of pride in and uh and i i submitted my ballot today and uh, that will never change every four years and two but especially for the national elections i'm gonna uh, make sure that it's uh, it's a must mm-hmm. absolutely i would say uh you know to be honest with you guys 100 percent, my first experience voting was actually uh last week it was my very Woo-hoo! first time i ever voted um i felt like I talked about it a lot and I, I was one of those people who was like, man, you know, obviously whatever side you sway right or left or views, whatever they are on your own. I think the biggest thing is that a lot of people have been saying, you know, it's your responsibility to go vote. You have the right to go vote and you should take full advantage of that. The difference was for me was uh, I just wasn't very educated. You know, I, mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't really truly understand what I was voting for. I didn't want it to be a, you know, right or left thing. If I'm saying, you know, I just want to vote for this person because they're from the right or this person because they're from the left or um, anything like that. I, I, this was the first time I did my research. I dug in and I was like, all right, um, you know, what are my values? What do I want the world, not just for myself, but for everybody else around me who looks like me, talks like me. And even those who don't, right. I, I just had to look at it. And it's like, man, I think this is the right way to go for me. And I, and that it was just, it was kind of an empowering feeling, right? And especially right now on social media where everyone is pushing to go vote. You know, I was one of those people saying, hey man, everyone needs to go vote. And then I finally did it. And I was like, it's just, it's so, it's an empowering feeling where yes, you drop is. off your ballot and you you walk away from it. And I won't lie to you. I played, uh, for those of you who know your hip hop, I played Bad Boys for Life by P Diddy. You know, and the beats like, so it was like a like a perfect little uh little walk away song. I felt like I was in a movie, but to be honest with you guys, it was just a cool experience because I felt like I finally used my voice. I used my you know my right to vote, and even today, man, I'm feeling good about it. I was like, man, I, I was I still that I feeling is real. It, it keeps yeah, going. It's a, it's a good feeling. So our our community. That's why I wrote this piece that I hope gets published about whether you're a black man in a hooded sweatshirt or a black man in a lab coat, a white coat. Every vote matters. Our vote matters because our community in a way is feeling ourselves because there's this, this idea that our votes don't matter, that no matter what happens, we don't get what we want or deserve. And that is not true. And if that's true, we need to change it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Annie, what was your first experience? Let's hear it. Okay, my first experience with voting, I don't remember exactly where I was when I like when I submitted my ballot. I remember where I was when the results were counted. Um, mm-hmm. But it was in 2016. Jason's oh, wow. a little bit older than me, so I wasn't eligible for a little while until a little while later. But it was in the 2016 election, and... Um, actually prior to that admittedly I was one of those people who was like I don't like politics and I don't think it was that like I didn't like politics I think it was that I didn't like the sentiment of like feuding sides Um, and then as I got older I think I realized like really the weight of the you know the conflicts that 
that are divided among political parties and like how much those affected people's lives. Um, and I think like as a very sheltered, uh, oh, maybe not sheltered, but you know, I went to high school in a very small town mm. where like everyone had the same mentality. It, technically it wasn't a small town actually. That was, I guess it was an average sized town, but everyone had this bubble mentality. And um, a lot of the issues like didn't really affect a lot of the community. It was predominantly white, predominantly socio, you know, upper uh, middle class. And no one was really like, oh yeah, I'm super passionate about politics. And then when I got to college and like, I really had this period of growth um, my second year of college, I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> like th this stuff isn't okay. Like people need to be speaking out about this. I need to be speaking out about this. And that's where I found like a lot of agency in myself to mm -hmm. be that voice for myself and to also echo the voices of other people who you know had firsthand experiences like you and Marcus or you know your grandmother mm -hmm. um, and so when 2016 came around I was super excited to vote I um, it was I voted in Oregon so I dropped off my ballot to a little drop box um, at my local grocery store and it felt really good to like to do that piece and I remember it was my senior year of college um, as the votes were coming in and I was sitting in the library studying for my biophysics uh -huh. midterm or like some kind of biophysics exam as these numbers are rolling in and I was just like oh my goodness oh, yeah you better like, believe that you better believe I was, I was laying on my couch falling asleep waking up like come on Virginia come yeah, on I North Carolina I was terrified <laughs> come on like, what is tomorrow Florida, gonna said, look like? Florida you done you dead to me, Florida. Come on, North Carolina. Uh, Ohio, don't let me down, baby. Uh, uh, but that, it, was, it was an interesting time to be in Ohio. I'll tell you that much. Um, so just so you guys know, fun fact, Ohio has decided the, elect, the national election, I think, every year except one or two back to like 1908. Whatever color Ohio goes is what the national election goes. So Buckeye Nation, let's not get this wrong. Okay. Let me take that in, though. We talk about... From that idea of voting, of change, of action, to this idea of fear, where some people look at fear occurs when we have inaction, but then let me leave you with two of my favorite quotes about fear. One, fear does not stop death. It stops life. Right, because we spend all this time thinking about like, okay, uh, if, if fear leads to inaction, if fear makes us decide not to take risk or to take jumps, to leap over chasms, then it's not holding up when life is over. It's holding us up from being able to do what we want to do right now while we're living or what we consider living or what we call living. So fear does not stop death. It stops life. Right, that's number one. Then number two, and you know, I use this quote in my uh, Seattle Times article from two years ago, fear kills more dreams than failure ever will. Hmm. Fear kills more dreams than failure ever will. So I want to just open the floor to Indy and Marcus to, to, to we'll hear what they think about these two quotes. Um, Jason, thanks for sharing. Uh, I'll speak to the second one, I guess, about fear killing more dreams than failure. I think 
we, especially people who are so self-critical, um, for example, myself, I'm someone who's very self-critical. I think even just the potential of failure makes me think about like, is this something I want to pursue? Because what does it mean for me if, you know, it doesn't go well? Mm. And I think that's largely shared by a lot of, um, you know, let's say, quote unquote, high achieving individuals who are really numbers driven or are really achievement driven. And they're worried to pursue something that might not be uh, successful and to have their name attached to something that might not be successful. And I think, you know, as the quote says, I think that really hinders um, your way of life. I feel like you're not taking full advantage of the opportunities around you. And I, I feel like I spoke to this in I think our second or third episode, but I, I um, somewhere in my second year of college, which was a monumental year for me, uh-huh. um, I decided that's not really how I want to live. Like we only have one life as cliche as that is to say, and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So why not make the most of the opportunities around you? And that includes trying out things that you might not be good at. And that includes like maybe making a fool of yourself, you know, on the golf course or like on the basketball field or playing I am volleyball or like, you know, pursuing a research project that might not have any findings or starting a podcast with two of your friends and seeing where that goes. Like Mm -hmm. you have to allow yourself room to potentially fail if you want to allow yourself room to grow. Well put. Marcus, follow that up. I like that, Annie. <clears throat> I just think when it comes to that, if you are scared, that's going to be – and it's it's the same thing that Annie says. You only, you only get one life, right? And I always look at it as – because I'm a guy – again, I, I'm extremely motivational in the regards to how I, how I want to look at my life and how I try and impact everybody else's life. And for a long time, I was the guy who was like, man, well, obviously I don't want to fail. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do that because then it's going to change the perception of how I am. Because, you know, if I, if I have kids or, you know, young individuals, maybe people are older than me, whatever it is that see me and they're like, okay, look at what Marcus is doing, right? He's achieving all these things. He's achieving his goals. He's reaching different heights, it seems all the time which right. obviously that's cool, but what's more motivating to somebody than that is the fact of that you, you put, that you fail, right? And I think a lot of the time now in social media, what do people post? You see a lot of people posting things a failure? No, absolutely not, right? Because it's the perception of what you want people to see. Hmm. But something that really got me was once I was done playing football at Oregon State because it took me so long to get finally on the team, then to the starting role, then from there, you know, just a, a, as it went on, I was like, man, I'm motivating so many people through through athletics and just people watching my journey, how I got to Oregon State and how I'm trying to take advantage of my opportunity here and hopefully make it to the NFL. But then once I was done playing, yeah, I, I kind of had a sour taste in my mouth because, right. uh, you know, injury cut me short and things like that. My story seemed like it just went off the deep end right into a horrible direction. And then from there, I, I could tell my experience of, listen, you know, I was a guy who I thought I was going to make it to the NFL. Did I fail at making it to the NFL? No, because at the end of the day, that wasn't in my plan. Mm. Instead, I had people look at me and say, look at what you've done now, though. You, you know, you took one thing that you thought that you wanted so bad that you were willing to give up anything and everything on a dime 
to now look at where you are. Like you, you know, taking more steps in a different direction now. Now you're going from football to broadcasting. And people tell me so many times, like, man, it's the fact of you made it seem like even though you, air quotes here, failed at making it to the NFL, that motivated someone else so much more because then it shows that even if they, you know, maybe the first time they try something, they don't get it. Second time, okay, they don't get it. Third time, all right, maybe it's time to find a different avenue. That that doesn't mean you fail. It just means that you could take a different direction and take it to heights that maybe the option one wouldn't have even taken you. You know what I'm saying? So not having fear to do something, you know, you always, you're always going to be scared to fail at the end of the day. Like that's just how, that's just how we are. It's just how we're built as people. But it's when you can see it as what is this going to teach me? What is how How is this going to elevate me to a different level compared to me just saying, you know what? I don't even want to give it a shot because I saw I actually read a quote today and I almost sent it to you guys, but I got a little caught up in work that <laughs> it was it was somebody talking about taking a class. Right. And so yeah. say you're you know, say you're 20 years old and you want to take this class and people say, you know, you have two thoughts in your head. One of them is like I should take this class but it's a four-year class. That's a lot of time. Four years to take one class, that's a lot of time. But what's going to happen is that those four years are still going to go by. You know what I'm saying? Like you're you're still going to be 24 at one point in your life. So you might as well take that chance and go to that class. You know what I'm saying? You might as well take that chance and say, I want to, I want to achieve this thing. I want to take this class because in the long run, it's going to help me. It's just something I thought about. And I was like, man, that's so true because I think a lot of the time we look at maybe time or effort that is going to be put into something and then this being scared that you're going to fail. But at the end of the day, life's going to go on regardless. You know what I'm saying? So if you can take advantage, obviously, of the time that you're here, like any said, I, it's, you're not guaranteed anything. So you might as well go for anything and everything that you ever wanted, because again, we are just not promised. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not even promised, right. you know, 10 minutes. So take full advantage of the time you have people listen to the TikTok doc, listen to any. Uh, and don't listen and, to me. Know, just dance with me. <laughs> hey, unless dance you're Marcus Grease, you want to get, and you want to get embarrassed. Hey, watch this though. Watch this. One way that we can overcome our fears is with mentorship. It's with our community parents, Mm -hmm. parental figures, people that have been through it, that have had their own fears, have overcome them, and then can help guide our way. So watch what my program director said to me a while ago. She said, your uh, test-taking issues, like your test-taking weakness or just lack of it being a strength of yours, she said, it's not a problem. It's a project. Hmm. What the? Wait a minute, Dr. B. She said, (laughs) it's not a problem. It's a project. But how many pre-med advisors think that all these things are problems and don't want to let you know, you know what? That isn't a problem. It's a project. And if you want to go to medical school, you can't. You're just not going to go straight into medical school, but you can go to medical school in three or four years. And to Marcus Greaves' point, Mr. Coin6, the time is going to pass anyway. So if this is your dream, you don't need to change it. You might just need to change the plan that you have to accomplish your dream. And I, is it Sunday or am I just preaching? Man, you're preaching. I'm out <laughs> here snapping on, over here on my end, man. I'm Come snapping. on, man. I'm making sure. I just, I, I, had, I had so many pre-med persons that would have looked at my application and said, oh, he's not qualified to be a doctor. 
as opposed to maybe saying, oh, he's not qualified to be a doctor yet. Oh, he's not ready yet. Oh, he doesn't have the class grade point average that he needs yet. Oh, he hasn't done the master's program that he needs yet. Oh, he hasn't gone and challenged himself yet. But if he does these things, this guy might be president of his medical school one day. This guy might be a well-respected anesthesia resident one day. So I just really wish that people would change the way that they look at things. And like my program director said, it's not a problem, it's a project. And that the, our words are so powerful uh, that you know all these different things that we say to people carry such weight. I don't want to focus on any Nako's negatives. I want to focus on her positives. So when she comes to the OR with me, there might be some things she doesn't do great, but I want to reinforce what she does well and just say, by the way, keep working on that. That's going to change her whole, she's going to be more likely to listen to me when I come at her like that than if I come at her just, oh, well, you messed up that. You didn't know how to intubate. You drew the wrong medication. You put a little bit too much in it, you know? So how we treat people, uh, gosh, it's so big. It'll help them overcome their fears so we can overcome our fears. Mm. Yeah, Jason is 100% right. I have no idea how to intubate, so we'll cross that bridge. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let the medical cats do their thing. Mr. Coin um, Six, you got to put him to sleep, baby. <laughs> Listen, Jason, you make such a great point about mentorship and the people around us, but you know, sometimes the people around us don't share the same experiences as us, especially for like first generation students or people who come from, um, you know, parents who, with immigration backgrounds or who are immigrants themselves or um, who don't have intergenerational wealth and those kinds of things. And to Marcus's point, like his story is an example for someone else. And it might mm -hmm. not be even someone that he knows, like Marcus might even not know this person exists but his story can reach him the same way that like your story can reach other people. And, you know, my story, although it's, you know, much smaller magnitude than, than either of your guys's can reach other people as hey, well. And like, it's your story. Like, you know, my, you know, <laughs> the only reason my story reaches people is because I have all this adversity and failures and people are like, Oh, like, yeah, we got, okay. We can relate to that. We can relate to that. Oh, Oh, he messed up there. Oh, that's another mess up. We can relate to that. Like it's one of those things. It, it goes both ways. Like my sleepless nights turn into, you know, another person's fortunes in stories. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, beware what you, what you ask for. <laughs> well, I always try to be, I, I mean, you make such a good point about like the medical culture and what pre-med advisors expect of us. And like, especially among my peers, like very, seldom are people open with their failures or their setbacks and a lot of the time it's like sharing their accomplishments or their resolutions or whatever and I try to make it a point um, whether it's with my friends or with like just my colleagues to be really open about my failures and really open about like the hurdles that I've seen and I think sometimes it's misinterpreted as like oh you know any is less capable or like any is less skilled by the people who just like don't see the value in overcoming those setbacks. Mm. But even if like someone scrutinizes me and is like, oh, well, you know, you had to apply twice, I didn't, haha. -ha. But then there's someone that overhears that who also had to apply twice and they feel bad about it. And then they see me and they're like, wait a minute, it's okay. Because like, she also had that experience. I think that for me is much more valuable than like some abstract perception of someone who like is on their high horse about, you know, where they're at. Absolutely.
Absolutely. I think, Hey, I, I think that, you know, just hearing, um, your thoughts and, and Marcus's, I mean, I feel like we've had a, we've had one hell of an episode. I don't know what else we need to tackle, but I mean, like I said, every time I get you to hear you guys, I just, I'm very appreciative of your perspectives. And, uh, I think the chance that you get to, to, uh, echo, but also to shed new light on things that I've never thought about. What do you think, Marcus? Should we call it? Hey, I can't really, I can't really follow up your guys' stories, man. All I got to say, just to, just to reiterate a couple last points, is just you, failure is going to happen regardless. That's something that you can't ever run away from. You cannot do yeah. everything right. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that because everyone wants to be – you want to be perfect. Obviously, winning feels a lot better than losing. But, again, it's the losses that build champions – it's the it. Those are the things. Just like what Michael Jordan always says, you know, he's shot however many shots, he missed however many shots, how many game winners, things like that. And what was the end result? It turned him into the best basketball player of all time. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's the fact of overcoming adversity, overcoming those losses. Every single thing, every single day, moment, decision, whether it's good or bad, win or loss, yeah. it is a learning experience. And you take that next step and you learn from it. So, I just think. Uh, Again, people, don't be don't be scared to take that leap. Sometimes the best way to figure out how to swim is to jump out in the deep end. You know what I'm saying? You can never be too scared better to jump. do that. Better jump. <laughs> well said, Marcus. Bring us home, E. Bring us home. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Episode 7 of the Underrepresented Perspective. We'll see you next week.